Welcome to Be With The Word, and I am Dr. Jerry Creed. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm here with I'm, my co-host. I'm Dr. Peter Malinowski, clinical psychologist here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And this episode of Be With The Word, we are going to reflect on the upcoming Sunday readings for the Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Christ, and we're going to especially look at the topic of addiction. And how addiction is the opposite of connection and intimacy. And we're going to be giving you some specific um, ways of knowing whether there's an addiction present. So really looking forward to exploring that. And before we do that, before we get into how to know whether there's an addiction present, I do want to mention a really important course. It's called Be True, Restoring Your Marriage After the Discovery of an pornography issue. So if you or somebody you know is struggling with pornography and they're in a relationship, this is the course for you that will help guide you through step-by-step step how to eliminate addiction from your life and how to repair and restore marriage. Uh, and it's geared for both husband and wife. So go to soulsandhearts.com and to uh, to our courses and select that course. Uh, you won't be disappointed. It's full of important information. There's nothing right. else like it out. There's nothing like it out there. I can tell you that. There's nothing else like it out there. So yeah, take yeah. a look at it. Yeah. And so, uh, Dr. Peter, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, Dr. Jerry. It's great to be here with all of our audience as well. Thank you for being here with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've really been enjoying uh, getting more and more comments and, and, and on our website and uh, really interacting, especially your awesome uh, community program, your Resilient Catholic community is, uh, is really growing. And, and That's starting to take really off. Exciting. Yeah, we just yeah, we just started with that and uh, just started to do some Zoom meetings. We were doing one on grief. We've got one uh, that's just been done on stress management as well. So you can check that out. But, you know, our listenership is really growing for Be With The Word, too. I, the last month, it has just skyrocketed. We are we have consistently more than 250 of you <clears throat> listening to us in podcast form, and we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you're here with us. And we're so excited yeah. to be able to be sharing what we have with you. So, Oh, and if you haven't already, you can go and read the readings, of course, and, uh, for, for this coming Sunday. But you can listen to us on Hear the Word, which is also an audio podcast on Apple and Spotify and all those places. And you can get to it from our website as well. You can get to so. it from our website as well. Yeah, it's, it's right there next to so Be With the Word. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... These readings are really kind of interesting to me. So I have a few uh, things I kind of want to point out. At first, you know, the Deuteronomy one was interesting. Uh, and I was especially, you know, always a little attuned to some difficult passages, like when it's sort of saying that God kind of tested them, or gave them <laughs> affliction in order. So those were a little bit hard, but... What? And forty years He's... and forty years of affliction. It wasn't just like yeah. you know an unpleasant moment. It was forty years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but and, and the, but the point of it all, like if you call, like he's saying, there's all kinds of horrible things in the desert, though, that he did save them from or guided them through. So he isn't he hasn't abandoned them through this time, um, and he brings forth this manna, right? That they mentioned several times they had no idea what it was before. Um, so if I understand right, it's this sort of like goopy stuff that shows up in the morning and is edible. <laughs> well, it's interesting. The manna is something that 
tastes really good to everybody that eats it, but it tastes like they want it to taste like. In other words, it's a, it's a preferred food, but it tastes different to different people. That's one of the astonishing things about manna. And uh, it's still a mystery oh. to this day, like what it actually is. There's been a, a number of attempts to try to figure out like what actually was it? Is there a natural phenomenon that, that happened? And there is no explanation for a phenomenon that happens six days a week and uh, happens over the course of 40 years. You cannot come up with anything that would make uh, that would make that not not a miraculous event. So it's a very special way that God was taking care of his people. Okay. Wow. Well, so it's really cool. And of course, it foreshadows Christ himself as the bread of life and giving himself to eat and as we hear in the gospel of john but now i really did want to focus in on the corinthians the the letter letter to the corinthians in this this week and i'm going to actually go a little outside of of the text itself to some of the context that sort of got skipped a little or not skipped but you know they they focused in on um you know this is a cup of blessing that we bless it's participation in the blood of Christ, all those important passages, but what um, is said around it in the if you looked at the longer passage was really about avoiding idols. And um, St. Paul is saying um, you can't uh, worship idols and then partake because, because it's a question. Isn't it the body? Isn't it that we're partaking in a participation in Christ? Isn't it in his blood in his body and so he's asking that question in response to saying you can't and and what what um what i found fascinating because i just did a little bit of research uh because i was curious here is that in the ancient world it was generally believed that demons existed in things all over the place and that there were demons in um you know even possibly in lakes and trees and in items and domiciles like the uh, demons could be anywhere and, and many jews believe this as well not just uh greeks and so the idea was paul saying you know the idol is nothing an idol is a nothing in itself uh but there if there's a demon in it you can't partake in something that is demonic essentially and then take in the body of christ that that is because 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 there is sort of a belief as I'm understanding it in the past that when you um, if you were if some if a demon resided in something and you participated in it, there is a sense in which especially if it was food and in the rituals in the sacrifices they did, they would bring some meat, they would bring some animal or whatever to be sacrificed to the god, whatever god it was. And then they would then eat some of that food after the sacrifice. And so the belief in the ancient world was that that God, who Christians would see as a demon, was now inside of you in some way. And you had partaken yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. And so and so St. Paul is saying, you can't do that and also take in Christ. And, and so the, the passages where it's saying... That, that, that now even in John where he's saying, you know, uh, 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 whoever eats my flesh has eternal life and all that. Um, it's true bread and true drink. And whoever drinks remains in me and I in him is saying, when you take in me, I am literally in you. Mm-hmm. Like you, it is a mystical communion 
where I am present. It's not just a symbolic ceremony that's being done. It, it really is, is in some way tangible. So it's powerful. Um, so I was really fascinated with this. And so that's what led me a little bit to this idea of how it relates to addiction. Yeah, because... I'm really interested. I'm really interested in that. How you're gonna bring this is Tie again how together. we bring the psych. Yeah, how we bring the psychological and the spiritual together because there are these real parallels and yeah. these real yeah. analogies, you know, in the in the natural world and in the spiritual world. So yeah, let's let I'm all ears. All right, Doctor, take <laughs> well, us there. I I want to. I, I really do kind of believe that we compartmentalize. So we, on one hand, are capable of you know, behaving well and behaving a certain way, right? We maybe we're going to church and we're a good family man or a good, good wife or whatnot. And yet at the same time, we sometimes enter into what I would call an addiction and, and an addiction ends up being an enslavement to something. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things that, that are normal things, you know, like are, are at least benign on the surface. So, so, you know, having a glass of wine or playing a video game or, um, you know, uh, watching a television show or something shopping. could be shopping. Yeah. Shopping would be another play, good one. Playing Those, a poker game. Right. But it can get, yeah, they right. could be simple enough. Then they don't have to have any enslavement right. to them, but, but they, they can't they have the potential to enslave us. So they have the attempt, the potential to become an actual idol in our lives. And then it becomes almost a part of us and we're attached to it. We feel at least that we can't live without it and we must have more of it. And so now to me, that really sounds like the demon that St. Paul was warning against uh, in Corinthians, he's saying, you know, once you have partaken in something that is unclean, that had a demon in it, if you will, then you've invited that inside of you on some level. And so now you're united with that. And and you can't then do that and then turn around and receive the Eucharist or receive Christ, right? Because those are opposition. And yet we compartmentalize sometimes our lives. So, you know, big one, and, and it's a topic of the course, the Be True course, but the big one is pornography. And I would say that one is is is, a, is almost a, a really good example of this because some for, for most people and, and most, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say, it's a rare man that I've ever met that hasn't been exposed to pornography at some point in his life, whether it's in, I'm not saying it has to be have been in an addiction, but where at some point, there wasn't curiosity. At one point, there wasn't exposure, so that it becomes something that the brain then remembers, and and if it becomes a habit, then it becomes something, you know, uh, that, that is going on and on in their lives. And so, and so, what do you do if that start, if that takes a hold? If pornography takes a hold, yeah. and it, whether you happens when you're a teenager or happens when you're in college or whenever, if it takes a hold you have psychologically you have to do something about that as a christian because as a christian it there it is um it is uh, there's a dissonance right it doesn't it it it, it it can't coexist happily with with the whole christian self i don't believe and so what psychologically has to happen it has to be compartmentalized somewhere else so on some level it's over here i'm going to just do this obviously it's or typically it's in private and I'm not going to let anybody know. And it's going to be my little secret. It's going to be my little way of self-soothing. 
right? And then, but somehow that's kind of put in a box and I can go around living my regular life normally all the time. And if the one side gets exposed, then the whole system is overwhelmed, right? Because it's, it's, it's been exposed. And when that happens, there's incredible shame. There's incredible, and, and in relationships, especially within marriage, there's a huge, dis- often a disruption into the marriage. It feels like a betrayal. All this is going on, right? So, but how is it that we, so, so I like to break that and, and really try to, not to increase shame or, or make someone feel worse about themselves for having this compartmentalization, but I think it needs to get brought out into the open, even if it's with oneself and one's confessor. Like at least you're you're saying, "Ha, this is an enslavement in my life. This is something that I've allowed in, and it really isn't compatible with the whole. And I have to do something in order to uh, break that you know break that enslavement, break that cycle." Right. And that that's a challenge. And I feel like that's what St. Paul was calling us to in Corinthians. Um, and it doesn't have to be pornography. It could be a number of other other behaviors. Right. Like we were saying. Right. 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 So that's so that's so there's got to be this. You're saying there has to be this integrity inside, which implies this integration. Right. They come from the same mm-hmm. root. Right. This integration. We can't have this zone within us that is given over to this idol, right? That's exactly. that's what I'm hearing you say, that there's gotta be a yeah. harmony, there's gotta be a coherence inside. There can't be these moments where we just switch into this other mode and then we do this other thing, you know, where we're really burning incense to this other God. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, because ultimately that isolation that comes from that you know where we where we where we operate in that mode we're isolated from christianity it's actually going to draw us in more and more it's going to actually right. it's actually going to it's the tail is now going to start wagging the dog right we're just going to wind up getting sucked further exactly. and further in right exactly. so okay and and so the question then becomes how does how does one know right how does one know that it's an, actually an addiction because usually in addiction terms there we we refer to use so you could use some substance, right? So you could use, you could have a glass of wine. You could um, play a video game casually here and there. It would be considered use. And then there's something, it moves into the category abuse. So if you start abusing something, it means you you go over the top with it. It might be binge watching something uh, on television, like too much, right? You know, maybe maybe spending five hours in a row watching TV without a break or something, or, or getting drunk could be abuse or, um, you know, some kind of where there's some negative effect. Okay. Um, but addiction means now it has more of a hold where now there is this need, this compulsion, perhaps this need to have more and more of the substance, um, in order to get the same level of satisfaction. So we, in addiction terms, we have things like tolerance, uh, where, you know, you, you know, maybe what used to get you drunk was, you know, five drinks. Now it takes 10 to have that same level of that same high or what have you. So, so a person develops tolerance. Um, and the, the thing becomes um, more and more difficult to stop. 
right? Because if you just use something or even if you abused it, you, it's not like you have to do it regularly. But when you're at a point where you're like, oh, I really have to stop that. I, and, and you try to stop and you try to stop and yet you keep going back to it and the problem just seems to get worse. Then you know this, this is really looking like an addiction at that point, right? Um, and, and then it, there has to be some kind of negative effects in your life, right? And somehow it's impacting. Right. So in other words, it's impacting maybe relationships, people, whether or not they know why, why it's impacting the relationships, it is. Um, or uh, maybe it's impacting work. Uh, it's affecting you at work. It's affecting multiple parts of your life. Um, it, and a lot of times, you know, certainly with alcohol, it could be you getting DUIs or fistfights at bars or you don't show up work on time because you have a hangover. There's, there's really tangible things to identify that, Hey, um, this is not just a mistake. <laughs> this is something that is a, a bigger, you know, it, it's a recurring pattern that has more and more negative effects in one's life. Right. Cause there's no way that you could, for example, in a marriage, if there is, if there is pornography being used by, by the husband, it's typically the husband. Um, that that compartmentalization will not bleed over in so many ways into the relationship, even mm -hmm. if even if it's still a secret, because because we're not we don't, we're actually not that disconnected, and so I you can see how that's going to create problems in the the intimacy the physical intimacy with the spouse you can see how that's going to lead to distractions it's going to lead to memories intrusive thoughts all kinds of things that come in and and cause problems mm -hmm. and i think if people are honest about that you can see that and there yeah. can be a maybe yeah. a fantasy that this doesn't hurt anybody else right but uh it's clearly having an impact on uh, on other people if you if you well, really want to be one... honest about it yeah, I think it does. But what what may be a bigger problem, and this would be a great topic, this would be a whole other, well, it is touched on in the course, more than touched on, there's a whole module on it. But it's about sex itself, because, it, you know, it, there are actually many women also who struggle with pornography, and more and more, I'm seeing that as a bigger issue than it used to be in the past. Um, so it really could be either one. But but you're right, typically, men struggle more, and they they start looking at porn usually earlier. So in their lives, and some say even as young as 70 years old, this is the normal time when, when there's exposure nowadays, which is very sad. Wow. Yeah. But, um, but they're coming into the marriage already addicted to pornography. And so it ha already has an effect on their level of intimacy. So a, a, a woman isn't necessarily going to see a difference. Like, it's not like they were married for three oh, years. He wasn't looking at porn right. and all of a sudden. So he's coming in already with attitudes built in. At, not, I don't know if it's attitude, but built in kind of way of thinking that that is uh, objectifying her and already has sort of like a fantasy world already, you know, kind of uh, structured that she's not going to know the difference unless his use gets really increases and that's the other point one the other uh, factor was of how to know you have a problem is whether there's escalation so now if there's escalation it means that you're looking say in the case of pornography you're looking at things 
that you wouldn't have found arousing before. You might have even found disturbing. And now it takes something more taboo or something more uh, intense or whatnot in order to be aroused. Right. And so there a wife might notice a difference, especially if he's asking her to do things that he didn't used to ask before that makes her maybe uncomfortable or 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 he seems definitely if he seems more and more disconnected, um, she might see a difference in escalation. But she may actually not notice it, though, (laughs) like because he's already coming into the marriage addicted is what I was I started to say. Right. Right. But there still will be a sense at some level that something is wrong. Something's not right. Yeah. Something's not right. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. And I think think the the intimacy is one of the most sensitive barometers, too, to what's going on in the relationship. So it picks up things, you know, well, readily. Yeah. Intimacy. Yeah. I think that um, from I think a lot of couples have trouble with intimacy no matter what. So I think that that if you're married to somebody who has an issue with pornography and there's an intimacy disorder there, right. Intimacy issue, you have one too. (laughs) Like, like it's a, there's a mutual intimacy issue going on. Right. And, and it might be um, for some, it might be that they're so uncomfortable with sex as it is that they don't even know, they can't even talk about sex uh, or, or the, or how they feel in, how they're connected or not in sex and they can't even talk about it. So it's just always a it's never, it's never even spoken of in some marriages. So, so well, that's um, why this, but that's why this particular course is so important is because it's not just about ending, you know, pornography viewing behaviors or habits. It's about yeah. the relational. It's about the relationship. It's about the marriage relationship. Uh, it's not just, it's not just about let's, let's get over this. So I don't have to deal with this anymore because it, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's messing with my integrity and I hate having to confess it. Um, it's about like, how do we take the relationship, the marriage relationship to the next level? And what is it like for a marriage to be free from, you know, that happening systemically? Because again, it just doesn't just happen with one, one spouse. It's once, once that's going on within one spouse, that's brought into the whole marriage relationship. So. So that approach that you have of working with both the husband and the wife, that's mm-hmm. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I love it that you say that. I think that what that's what I really wanted for this course is more than just breaking free the bonds of addiction itself for one person in the marriage. It's actually have, how do we, as a result of this, of working through this, have a marriage that is actually now stronger, more connected, and with greater levels of intimacy. That's my goal from this course, from that, uh, out of that course, I hope for most people. So, yeah, great. The other, so I do just want to make sure we cover them all because I've been going over, how do we know we have a problem? And one of them is that we're trying to quit and we can't. Another one is that there's definitely negative effects that have become more and more serious. Another one is escalation in material itself or, or substance itself. Uh, in the case of, say, alcohol or whatever, escalation would be, you know, you're drinking maybe more, uh, more often, more, uh, you know, uh, sort of higher levels of substance, what have you. And then the other one is more time. Yeah. Uh, losing time. In other words, what you maybe spent, you know, maybe an hour a day playing video games. Now you're spending six hours a day. You know, you maybe would do it once on the weekend. Now you're spending the entire weekend. So you're really losing time 
uh, or more and more time is being used and dedicated to to upholding this addiction. And usually, along with that, is actually less pleasure. Yeah. So whatever yeah. pleasure the substance or the behavior brought, it actually diminishes uh, with this level of use. So it's it's a it's a sad enslavement, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I really thought too. What was interesting, and you were alluding to it earlier, Peter, um, was this idea of the out. Like, what are the fruit? What is the negative fruit that comes from addiction? And um, and I could explore that. And there's probably a whole pile, whole list, long list. But I've kind of picked out two things. One is dehumanization, and the other is isolation. To me, those are the two evil fruits of of any addiction. And the dehumanization is where the person loses, is, is ceases to be human, ceases to be a person. Um, you know, whether that's oneself or the way that one perceives others or both. And that's very easy to see in, in pornography addictions because um, obviously the, the material itself is, uh, you know, dehumanizing another. But it can, as we were saying before in a marriage, then lead to the objectification of whether it's, you know, perhaps it's women. And so the objectification of one's wife, the object, you know, basically it changes one's attitude and view of other people. Right. So we see that people who use a lot of pornography tend to have negative attitudes toward, say, women in general or if it's, really. You know, I haven't seen that as much the other way, like women who use pornography and whether they kind of objectify men. Well, they do objectify men, but whether it leads to a lack of respect for men, I'm not sure. But I definitely see it where there's a lack of respect for women by uh, men who use a lot of pornography Um, because you can't help it. It's part of object. If you're objectifying, objectifying, you're seeing people as objects uh, for my gratification then you're going to have less and less respect for them. Well, what about what about the argument of, you know, the aesthetic argument, right? That the human body is beautiful, you know, we have, you know, we have the, you know, classical art, you know, that depicts the body um, nude, you know, mm-hmm. there is this sort of appreciation that we have for the human body. What do you say in response to people that might be yeah. that argument? Dr. Jerry. Yeah, I know. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, I, I do think um, huh, there is, obviously, there's beauty in the human form. And it's hard to pinpoint what the difference is between appreciating the human form and lusting and after someone in, where, you, where it's just you're objectifying it for their for your own use i would say most pornography it's like it's it's a bit hard to define but it it just you know it when you see it like you know the difference between something that is lewd and something that is is beautiful you know is is promoting a sense of beauty like you know renaissance art and this kind of thing um i would say however i mean i don't know whether what was considered pornography in the 14th uh, 15th century or, or or not I have no, I'm not absolutely sure, <laughs> you know, because we have become so desensitized uh, to, to nudity in a way that, that I don't know that, I don't know if somebody had not been exposed to the pornography that, 
we're exposed to in our current world, our current era, whether what how they would view, say, a Venus statue of Venus or something, what have you. Um, it's it's a good question, but um, yeah, and theology of the body is really interesting because it really kind of tries to explore that as well. I, and some of the stuff that I've I've read on theology of the body and John Paul to some extent actually does kind of bring that up as a as a contrast, mm-hmm. you know, real art. That, that basically promotes the beauty of God of God's creation. I would also say that art in general, if it's good art, it 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 in some way speaks to the essence of the soul of the subject, right? So if it's a if it's a human person or if it's a certainly if it was a saint, um, the art itself is expressing uh, outwardly inner inner beauty. And that's only, I think, the masters can do that. And, and I would say in pornography, it's kind of doing the opposite. You know what? It's actually, okay, here's another thing. It's a kind of an interesting contrast when, when since we're talking about, you know, the body of Christ here this week. Um, I always thought the contrast between Christ and a vampire was extremely powerful. And I can remember the first time I had to read Bram Stoker's Dracula. And years ago, I remember as I was, if you actually read the, the actual book, it, it's made quite explicit that, that he's literally an antichrist, that, that, that this is a creature that survives by stealing the blood of others in order to have eternal life. So he's the embodiment of lust and the embodiment of objectifying other people. So he goes around taking blood from people in order to live forever. Whereas Christ is the exact opposite. Literally gives his own blood to feed others so that they have eternal life. Right? So it's just a beautiful, powerful contrast in a way. And so to me, and it's sort of horrible to put it this way perhaps, but there's a sense in which if we're consuming pornography, it's a little bit like we're being vampires. We are taking the life of others. We're taking from them for our own kind of selfish gratification. And I and I and I don't say this to shame people or make people feel worse, because <laughs> that's not really what I want to do. But I do want to highlight the gravity of it because I but don't there's think a, yeah, I there's think, a reality there. There's a reality there, and I think sometimes people can believe, you know, with consenting adults, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that there's no harm, right? As long as right. there's consent, there's no harm. And that's right. clearly not true. People can consent to right. all kinds of things that are really harmful to them. So I, I think it's a, I think it's an excellent point. And I would, I would, I really resonate with the idea of what is the fruit, right? If you are, if you are masturbating because you're looking at something, well, uh, you know, the, the likelihood is it's pornographic or if it is artistic, your own sense of, of beauty in the human body is so warped that you can't enjoy it as the good it is. Just like in, somebody that really does experience an addiction to alcohol cannot enjoy a glass of wine without it warping into something mm-hmm. and into an experience or into a set of behaviors that are going to be harmful to the person. And so that's one of yeah. the great losses of, of, of addiction is that the good you know, that mm. you are seeking is now being compromised or it's being undermined in such a way that you might not be able to have it, um, yeah. at least in that. And that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why food addictions, for example, are so tricky to treat because right. you can't actually live without food, 
right? So, uh, you know, eating eating disorders are, are can be really challenging. Yeah. So, so well, you, you want to take a look at what track does this lead you down? Whether it's video mm-hmm. games or you know whatever the whatever the thing is, you know, no, I don't think most people are going to argue that 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 visual media are are in, in, intrinsically evil, right? It's easier to look at something like methamphetamines and say, yeah, that's probably doesn't have a good, you know, <laughs> it's hard to know how that's used well, you know, as a legitimate right. pleasure, but, uh, but something like food or something like, you know, visual media movies, you know, so, so the question then for me is like, what is the fruit for me? Like what happens when I engage in this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that isolation is key here. Dehumanize, we dehumanize others. We dehumanize ourselves through addiction. Sure. But one of the, the negative fruits is isolation. And it's interesting because this is a really good contrast to what the readings are about because the readings are about communion. And Christ is saying we're one body and we share of that one body. We all partake. It's a, it's a unifying thing. And throughout history, right, eating together, breaking bread together is a sign of peace and unity and connection with each other right so it's an intimate thing to eat with someone you know your guard is down you know you're not there for war you're there for um you have conversation you're sharing food all right so it creates unity so it's interesting that um an addiction does leads to the exact opposite ultimately mm-hmm. all right there might be some moments where it for a while it seems you know like you're smoking weed or something and you're with your friends you feel you're getting high together you feel kind of connected right with each other but ultimately it leads to further isol- isolation maybe not right away but in time and 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 a, a good example like food you're using that like um there's one thing if we're enjoying food together, we're enjoying each other. It's another thing if I'm sitting there by myself trying to wolf down as much of the chips as I can so nobody else gets them, <laughs> which is maybe, you know, there, there's a sense of which now I'm isolating. It's just like I'm just trying to consume for me, right? Rather than I am, this is taking me out of me and connecting me to other people. Right, right. Sort of makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So dehumanization on the one hand, isolation on the other hand. These are the two things yeah. that you're offering today to our listeners to really to the sort of litmus tests, right? They're like litmus tests of whether this thing is is mm-hmm. is an addiction or not. And it doesn't mean that if it's not an addiction, it's still not a problem, right? Because there's still like you had mentioned. Right. Three levels. Right. Because there could be abuse, abuse. And, and then and then addiction. Right. Yes. So. Right. And some so things as Catholics, use is just wrong. Like right. We would say pornography use is a problem. Right. Whether or not it's, it's actually ra- risen to the level of addiction. Right. Um, and like you were saying, food, we have to use food. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, right. To survive. Right. right. So, yeah. So great. Well, th- that's awesome. And so, okay. So what I was thinking, and we can explore this more and we've got, We've got blogs on addiction on our site, and we have the course uh, we hope you take. And the Be Called course, the one that Dr. Mark Glafke is the head lead instructor on, actually does, there's a whole module there on addiction as well, and we see how all these things connect. So there are a lot of ways in which uh, we can get some help and resources if we're struggling with an addiction or if we know someone who's struggling with an addiction. I do want to give a takeaway for today, though. Like, I did yes. want to leave 
leave you all with something to do. And I would say this is to do some kind of sanctification and that's some sort of prayer over something that is in your life. I was going to suggest sanctifying your devices and your living spaces. And by devices, I mean your phones, your people do this, but our phones don't actually look like this anymore. And uh, our, our laptops, our computers, and also the places where we reside, our bedrooms. I mean, the ideal thing, I think, would be to have, say, a priest come and um, bless your house, right? That would be, that's the ultimate. I, I, in the Byzantine tradition, we do that once a year. Priest comes and blesses, blesses your house. Um, anybody can do that, but, uh, it might be hard these days, maybe with the virus and stuff like that, there's, there's less of that, but at a minimum, you can sanctify your own devices and living spaces just through a simple prayer. I mean, Hey, if you've got holy water, that would be ideal. I would say bring holy water, um, yourself. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can go, there's millions of prayers one could find. I, I'm just going to throw out this little one. Uh, that I'm going to just kind of say now, and it's and maybe I'll I'll say this over uh, our this podcast. Divine guest of my soul, abide in me and grant that I may ever abide in you. God the Holy Spirit, have mercy on us and sanctify this podcast. Thank sanctify this um, this laptop, sanctify this phone, and you you don't have to use that one. But I've just it doesn't have to be a complex. Right. Um, you know, we, you don't have to do an exorcism, <laughs> right. uh, no, but, 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 but what, just the blessing. What, what grabs me about that, what grabs me about that is that you're bringing God into whatever the potential, you know, um, abuse or addiction, you know, that you're, that you're facing there. And I think how we react to that, like, is there, you know, I think that's a great, I think our internal reactions are a sign in a sense of like, is there something disordered there? Right. Because if that comes easily and naturally, well, no problem. Right. right? But if there's some like, whoa, I don't know if I want God in on this. Well, that's mm. a great sign of that isolation. Right. There's something yeah. here that is where there's a barrier or a wall all of a sudden to me bringing God into this. Mm-hmm. Like, so why is that? Right. That can be useful for reflection, too. So the, yeah. the effects of doing these things are all I'll say I'll do what Dr. Jerry said. I'll sanctify this. I'll sanctify that. I'll sanctify this other thing. But I don't want to sanctify this thing. All right. Mm-hmm. So then why not? You know, what's <laughs> going on with that thing, you know, or that time or that particular place that is um, is incompatible with or is like, you know, kind of seeming like it's it's in contradiction in some way with the blessing or with the sanctification mm-hmm. it's very yeah. very interesting what can happen with that so yeah uh, really it might like reveal that. an idol right it might reveal right. um something that doesn't want to go with the other like i was saying at the beginning about compartmentalization exactly. you know this is my little sin area over here i don't right. want to let god my spouse my family in on this right yeah right wow. it's a hard one yeah, yeah. Beautiful. It's, well, it's really, really helpful. So, 
Well, it was good to see you, Dr. Peter. Hope you're uh, doing well and everybody is staying healthy in your home. And Yep, we're doing okay. <laughs> we're, we're hanging out. It's tough times right now for folks. I mean, there's all kinds of things happening and stress levels going up. So we totally understand, you know, people are uh, struggling in a, in a different way with addictions, you know, or with, mm. with whatever that they tend to go to in terms of their coping when times are tough, you know, and then that might be in a maladaptive way. So if that's happening... You know, the, it's not hard to understand why. It's not hard to understand yeah. why. So, yeah, for sure. for sure. That doesn't that doesn't mean that we're off the hook, you know, and that we don't have to do anything about it. And I am really going to encourage people if there is something that you know you should be addressing in your life, to ask for the graces, mm -hmm. and then like take that first step. Take that first step. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. we look forward to seeing you next time. And uh, we hope you will join us. I hope if you're not already, go to soulsandhearts.com and join our community. Our, uh, that begin, begin that interior pilgrimage with us. Uh, there's tons of free content, all kinds of courses on how to help others and help yourself. And, and, and then we also have blog every week. We have a blog that comes out and uh, oh, we have the journey of the heart series by Irene Rowland is beautiful and fantastic. And so she's sort of describing her journey um, in losing her son and her brother uh, to suicide. And, and it's really powerful reading. And we're hoping to get more and more mental health providers to sort of share their journeys as well um, as our regular blogs that are more informational. So we're offering more and more content. We hope you will join us and take advantage. All right. Until next time, be still. Believe. Be loved. Be loved. Take good care. God bless you all.